Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Amen. I want to speak to you about the claims of Christ that you see in uh, verses 21, 22 of that passage. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, and to teach you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This time next week, you'll all be on mission. Uh, it is the most important week of the college year. Most important because the mission is the very raison d'etre of this college and the very reason for which you should be here studying. It's important because it's an equipping you for the life of Christian ministry that lies ahead. It's important because it will show you that the blood in the brains of your lecturers comes from a gospel-beating heart. It's also important in encouraging the churches and the, and the ministers, the pastors, in evangelism. But it's most important of all in saving people from God's wrath. This saving work is our mission because our mission is evangelism. When Christians define mission more broadly to include all Christian activities, to, they lose both the mission and over time their Christianity. I mean, it's true that Christianity touches and impinges upon every aspect of life, but the central mission of Christianity, the central mission of Christ, is the salvation of sinners from the wrath of God. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. When everything is mission, nothing is mission. When everything is the gospel, there is no gospel. And when everything is evangelism, there's no evangelism. So let us be clear this morning about evangelism and the gospel. The word gospel was not a distinctively Christian word. 
A gospel is an announcement, a, a message, a proclamation. It's verbal in its very nature. It's a pronouncement. It's a declaration. More than that, a gospel is an announcement of great importance, an announcement of, of significant news, changing the circumstances of life and therefore changing the promise of, of significant change to our own circumstances of life. An announcement of the birth of a new king or the victory in an election or the victory in a war, in a battle. The gospel is that by his death and resurrection, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That news changes everything because it changes our relationship with our creator, with our God. For Jesus died because of our sins and Jesus was raised because of our justification. In that passage in Acts 20, Paul starts his charge to the Ephesian elders by recounting his gospel preaching mission amongst them. Let me draw three elements from that introduction in Acts 20. Firstly, there is a lifestyle that goes with this preaching of the gospel. You see it in verse 19, how he was serving the Lord as a slave with humility, with the meekness and gentleness of Christ, as he would call it, with tears, warning and admonishing them, with trials of opposition from the Jews. While these are fairly normal events in evangelism, they themselves are not evangelism. You can have all these things without evangelising. But they give the context that explains why he says in verse 20, I did not shrink back. Something he repeats again for us in verse 27, I did not shrink back. We'll be tempted next week to shrink back. Tempted to shrink back because of opposition. Because the hearers do not want to hear our message, our message of repentance. They do not want to hear our message which says you are going the wrong way in your life. Paul himself said that he preached in Corinth in weakness and fear and much trembling. And he asks in Ephesians 6 to, for prayer to open his mouth boldly, to declare his message boldly. Are you afraid? Are you nervous about next week? Well, you're in good apostolic uh, company and his solution is our solution. One, prayer. Two, do not shrink back, but speak the whole message of God, not watering it down, not hesitating over unpopular ideas, not distorting it to make it acceptable. Even though he was facing the opposition, the Jews' plots, and having hard things to say, repent, he didn't shrink back from hesit or hesitate from speaking the truth, preaching anything that would be helpful, teaching publicly and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. He did what is always required of a witness. He testified 
in the face of opposition. You never call witnesses when everybody agrees. You only call witnesses when people oppose the truth. Witnessing is always testifying in the face of opposition. Secondly, in the following few verses, Paul variously describes his evangelistic activity. You see it in verse 24, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 25, to proclaim the kingdom. Verse 27, declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And if we went beyond to verse 31, admonishing everyone with tears. These aren't different activities, but alternative ways of describing the same activity of evangelism. Preaching, not by mean that pulpiteering, but announcing, declaring, testifying, proclaiming, admonishing or warning are the activities of evangelism. Similarly, they're not different Gospels, but alternative ways of describing the one true Gospel. Anything that would be helpful to you. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of the grace of God. The kingdom. The whole counsel of God. They're just different ways of talking of the great message of salvation. However, thirdly, notice, evangelistic activity involves both an audience and a response. He doesn't simply talk of preaching the gospel. He talks of preaching the gospel to you. And not only to you, but also to everybody everywhere, Jews and Greeks, publicly and in house-to-house privately. It's important to notice that the gospel is preached to people because the gospel is always preached for a response. Indeed, he can talk of the gospel simply in terms of the response. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Technically, the gospel is the announcement about Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. He's the Saviour. He died for our sins. He was raised to new life. The message of repentance and faith is technically not the gospel, but the response to the gospel. But yet, to preach the gospel without calling for response is not to preach the gospel at all. For declaring that the risen Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, the judge of the living and the dead, without calling upon people to get ready to meet him by repentance, is like telling the people that there's a bomb under the building without encouraging them to leave. It's a nonsense. The failure to point to the response will be because you don't really believe the message or because you don't care about the people being blown up or facing judgment and hell or because you don't think there's any way to escape anyway, denying the death of our Lord and Saviour. Why? Why are we afraid? Why do we balk at this point in evangelism? 
We haven't done the job if we stop before indicating that people must respond, indicating to people how to respond, calling upon them to respond. Whatever else made Billy Graham the great evangelist of the 20th century, it was his open invitation for all to respond to the gospel right then, right there in his meeting. He showed the way to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Preaching repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus actually does teach the gospel that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Saviour. I mean, it's a very simple gospel outline to remember. Jesus is Lord, risen from the dead, Therefore, submit to him in repentance. Turn back to God. Submit to Jesus. Jesus is the Saviour who died on the cross to pay for our sins. Therefore, trust him for forgiveness and be assured of your salvation. Is he your Lord? Is he your Saviour? My brothers and sisters here, if he's not your Lord and Saviour, don't go on the mission till you've sorted that out. Sort it out today. Go see your chaplain today and talk about it. There is no point preaching to others a gospel which will condemn you. Is he your Lord? Turn back to God. Is he your saviour? Put your faith and trust in him. The gospel is very simple and the response to the gospel clarifies the gospel. You see, repentance is the right response to the news that the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead and now sits at God's right hand. And faith is the right response to the news that by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our saviour in whom we can find forgiveness. Furthermore, the response to the gospel is the very reason for which we are preaching it in the first place. For we're not going on mission to inform and educate people, but to save them, to save them from the wrath of God by fulfilling God's great plan revealed all through the Old Testament of Christ Jesus suffering and rising and forgiveness being proclaimed in his name to all nations. For it's in repentance and faith the Christian is saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are engaged in the saving activity of the Lord Jesus Christ when we proclaim repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus. A few weeks ago I had a great I, I read a great statement about preaching written by one of Moore College's greatest sons, Paul Barnett. He wrote Let it be said that preaching whether based on the New Testament or the Old Testament, whether exegetical or thematic, fails at its most critical point if it does not on every occasion bring the claims of the Lordship of Christ and his saving power into the clearest focus. It's a terrific statement on the nature of Christian preaching. It's a powerful statement of the aim of the Christian preacher to bring the claims of the Lordship of Christ and his saving power 
into the clearest focus. How can we possibly do that without preaching for response? And what better, clearer response than the apostles' repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? This is the Thessalonians who are the model respondents of responders to the to the gospel in chapter one of one Thessalonians, where he talks about you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There is repentance towards God, there is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Paul Barnett is right. We must bring the claims of Christ into clearest focus, which means more than preaching about Christ, it means preaching for response to Christ. Notice he uses the wonderfully ambiguous word, claims. For the word has two quite distinct meanings in English. Firstly, the word claim can mean... Uh, an assertion that something is true. Jesus has died. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is both Lord and Saviour. These are the claims of Jesus, the claims that we must make clear. But secondly, the word claim can also mean a demand, a, a request for something that is your due. Jesus calls us by his spirit and in his gospel to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him, to lose our lives for his sake and the gospel, to repent and to put our trust in him. Here too are the claims of Jesus, the claims of Jesus that we must make clear to people. Both meanings of the word are true in Paul Barnett's statement that we must bring the claims of Christ into the clearest focus both the claim of who he is and the claims over our life that he has. For preaching the truth of Jesus requires response. To proclaim the claims of Christ, who he is, without proclaiming the claims of Christ, what he requires, is to fail to proclaim the claims of Christ. So this time next week you'll all be on missions scattered here, there and everywhere. I I presume none of us are going to Ephesus but all of us will follow the example of Paul that we may follow the example of the Lord Jesus in laying down our lives for the salvation of others for that's what 1 Corinthians 11 requires of us. The activity will be the same. You're to serve the Lord with humility, with tears for your love of people and your fear of their futures. And it will inevitably come with trials. And as with the Apostle, you are not to shrink back from declaring anything that is profitable as you teach and publicly and privately, in churches, in schools, in open forums, in the streets, from door to door, 
house to house, in the streets and in the parks, wherever you go and to whomever you speak, publicly or privately, testifying to repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, testifying to the gospel of the grace of God, proclaiming the kingdom, declaring the whole counsel of God. That will come as you testify to repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus. But remember, to proclaim the claims of Christ, who he is, without proclaiming the claims of Christ, what is required is to fail to proclaim the claims of Christ. So make sure that whatever else you do, that you preach for response. And because I know that you're nervous and even afraid, let's pray for boldness, that you will not shrink back from declaring anything that is profitable. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ by his death and by his resurrection. We pray first of all for any of us amongst us who are unsure of this great call, that you would help us, enable us, embolden us to speak up this day and to come into real relationship with you through the, your son's death and resurrection. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give to us such love for Jesus that we want his name proclaimed, we want his victory declared, we want people to know of him and what you have done for us in sending him into this world. And we want people to know, Heavenly Father, how as sinners we too have been saved. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us that love for others that your Son has, that love for the world, sinful and rebellious and rejecting as it is, that love for the world that you have that gave your Son. Help us, Heavenly Father, to love the people that we're going to to be passionately concerned for them and their welfare, not just in this world, but especially in the world to come. Give to us such concern, Heavenly Father, your concern, your Son's concern, for the salvation of sinners, that we will put ourselves out for their salvation, that we will go the extra mile for their concerns, that we will make clear to them the gospel, the work of your Son and what he has done for us, that they too may share in the great victory that is his. And we pray therefore, Father, for boldness, for confidence, not in ourselves but in you, that you would speak through us, that you would use our mouths to convey that great message of salvation. Boldness, Father, not only to speak of Christ, but to help people understand what we're saying by calling upon them to respond to Christ, calling upon them to repent and put their trust in Christ. 
And so, Heavenly Father, we pray for your spirit, your spirit to come not only in us and in our words, to speak not just the words of men but the words of God, but to give us, Heavenly Father, your spirit that as we preach this gospel, your spirit would also come to those who hear, regenerating them and bringing them through conversion to repent and to turn to you and to find forgiveness in trusting your son's death for them. So we pray, Heavenly Father, for the outpouring of your spirit on each of the houses, the homes, the the meetings, the gatherings, the people that we're speaking to, wherever they may be, we pray for such outpouring of your spirit that many might come to salvation through our endeavours in this coming week. And we do pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.